The Start On Demand. On demand. talked a lot today about sports in various contexts because for example nhl free agency today so that's a big day also u.s gymnast simone biles has withdrawn from competition to take care of her mental health and she is taking a beating on social media so we'll get reaction from a sports psychologist on that and the norwegian women's beach handball team got fined for wearing shorts instead of bikini bottoms Pink offered to pay for the fines, so we'll speak with the founder of Fit Women and Girls about sports and women's attire. And we spoke to a couple of Winnipeggers who have written a book called The Good Old Days of Video Rental. So we had a blast sharing your video rental memories. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's on vacation. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, July 28th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is on vacation. Greg, it is a big day in the NHL. I know you're pumped. Cam Poitras, Kelly Moore are going to be pumped. Uh, Jets, another big trade for them yesterday. And it's an exciting day on the ice. The Jets are making moves, y'all. They're they're making trades in order to bolster that defensive lineup, the the group of six that really uh, has come under scrutiny for going on three seasons now is it enough the Jets added Nate Schmidt from the Vancouver Canucks yesterday for a third round draft choice so today free agency there will be lots of money spent today by a variety of teams will the Jets be among them not likely as they don't have a ton of money left against the salary cap Murad Atesh of the Athletic will join us as well as we break down the trades uh, for not only Nate Schmidt and um, Brendan Dillon but also the addition of of Paul Stastny at least the re-upping of Paul Stastny and what role might Stastny have had in convincing Nate Schmidt to come to the Jets because Brett the Jets tried to convince Schmidt to come here last year by several reports. He ended up with the Vancouver Canucks because the Vegas Golden Knights let him go uh, to shed salary cap space uh, as they were pursuing free agents. And uh, on Monday, he turned down the trade to come to Winnipeg, but changed his mind yesterday. So we'll find out, did Paul Stastny convince his former teammate in Vegas to come to Winnipeg? Lots of Subtle storylines around the Jets today, for sure. So more, as you said, at 7.35 with Murata Tesh. And then at 9.35, we'll speak to Kelly Moore and Cam Poitras, host of Jets at Noon, because it's a special edition of Jets at Noon today, yes? Yes, they're going a full hour today as they cover all the NHL moves and and how that impacts the Jets and uh, all the... uh, all the the intrigue that goes with a day like today as some big names uh, will change teams today, it, it, it's a big deal. It's sort of like Christmas for a lot of uh, hockey fans today. We have a couple of other sports-related discussions we're going to have this morning as well. Uh, one about 
uniforms and controversy on that, and another about mental wellness as it pertains to U.S. Olympic gymnastics star Simone Biles. So for those who may not have heard that news, because there's so much to consume as it pertains to the Olympics, but what happened with Simone? Well, Simone Biles uh, withdraw from, withdrew rather from the team competition a couple of days ago. She had uh, a poor vault in her first attempt, and and said essentially her mental wasn't there. Those are her words. So she decided to withdraw. She didn't want to hurt her team's chances in that team competition. They ended up winning the silver medal in that competition. And then all sorts of questions about Biles and and what's going on. Lots of applause for her decision to take care of herself first and foremost. And then overnight it was announced that she was uh, not going to be uh, competing in the all-round competition as well. So we'll discuss this Simply not only because of what Biles has done, but some of the, if you can believe this, criticism she's coming under. And there are people out there, Brett, and this this just angers me, questioning her intestinal fortitude. Like, can you think about what is required to get where she's got in this in this world in this athletic endeavor where she risks really life and limb every time she competes and People are going to question her toughness. Give me a break. So we'll have more on that at 8.05. We're going to talk to a psychologist about that. And then at 9.05, we're going to discuss something that's that's popped up in the news over the last couple of days. What does Singer Pink have to do with the Norwegian women's beach handball team? Pink has said, hey, uh, good on you, ladies. Uh, her word, not mine. I'm going to pay your fine. Why did they get fined? They got fined for wearing shorts that were not short enough in the European Beach Handball Championships. And it's opening a whole can of worms about the sexualization of of women athletes and the questions around whether or not uh, women should be subjected to different rules as it pertains to uniforms in a variety of different sports. You'd be surprised at how many sports regulate the shorts being short enough versus the other way, you know, the way we were used to it in school, Brett, where your shorts had to be a certain length. Well, there are women that are subjected to, uh, hey, if that uh, bikini bottom isn't uh, (coughs) revealing enough, you're going against the rules. That's ridiculous. So we'll have that conversation at 9.05. And then also, this is going to be a fun chat at 7.07. And this, I think, uh, sort of popped up on our radar as a result of a conversation we had back in March when we were talking about the documentary on Netflix, The Last Blockbuster, which was about the last blockbuster rental store on Earth. And a couple of local guys have written a book. Yeah, they reached out to us in March when we had that discussion. Hey, Brett. Hey, Greg. We're writing a book about the Winnipeg video rental scene back in the day. And we said, let us know when it's coming out. We'd love to speak with you. Well, that book came out last week. And Brett, you were away last week. So I said, hey, we can't have this discussion without (laughs) McGarry. So here we are. We're going to have it this morning at 7.05. And uh, we're going to have our own chat about it before we bring on Kevin and Bill, the authors of this book. That's right. At 204-780-6868. If you want to share your video rental store memories for a chance to win a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza, uh, which of course we'll give away just after 9.15, but you can get in on that now and then we'll chat a little bit more about it at 6.45. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is on vacation. 
In our next segment, we're going to talk about video store, video rental memories. And then at 7.07, we're going to speak to the authors of the good old days of video rental. A couple of Winnipeggers have put this book together. And we got this text from Kyle, Greg, on our Instagram account at 680CJOB. Kyle says, there's a place called Video Max in Steinbeck, a full-fledged video store where you can still rent the biggest titles. Busiest place on weekends. Took my niece there. And her eyes lit up. We can borrow all these movies? That's fantastic. She couldn't grasp the concept that there was a place you can physically rent a movie or game. My daughter loves the place as well. We go there regularly. One of the few I can think of other than the odd gas station or convenience stores. Thanks for the tip on that, Kyle. That's fascinating that, they're, that it, it's still, they still have one and that it's still busy. I think it's great. So we'll have that chat in our next segment. Right now, we want to talk. About pickup trucks. A column in the Globe and Mail. I love the way you said pickup trucks, too, because it does uh, ratchet up the uh, testosterone a little bit. A, a column in the Globe and Mail feels pickup trucks should be parked in favor of smaller vehicles. And Alberta Premier J- Jason Kenney has chimed in on the debate. Oh, has he ever? Global's Tom Vernon reports. Cars are now being phased out. At Team Ford in South Edmonton, the F-150 is king. The long-running Ford pickup is the number one selling vehicle in the country. A lot of people use trucks for work, and, uh, and I think once they come home from work, uh, they're comfortable using, using a truck. This isn't just the case here in Edmonton, but right across the country. And a Toronto-based columnist has had enough. In a column titled, Pickup Trucks are a Plague on Canadian Streets, Marcus G. with the Globe and Mail laments that the vehicle once of the cowboy, the contractor and the good old boy has now become the continent's mainstream ride. Most people drive them to the mall to shop or the soccer field to drop off their kids. Why anyone thinks they need such a beast to do that is an abiding mystery to G. He does raise concerns about the environment and the safety of other drivers on the road due to their size before concluding a vehicle that started as a practical tool for hardworking people has become for many an obnoxious assertion of dominance and division. You know the Premier who rode shotgun in a pickup on election night wasn't going to pass up an opportunity like this one. New profile pick Premier Jason Kenney tweeted out in response, sitting in the front seat of that same blue pickup. Maybe Toronto columnists should try getting around this province during a prairie blizzard in a smart car, he added on Sunday. John at Team Ford was much more diplomatic, simply saying G has a different perspective from a different part of the country. He doesn't expect a column to convince customers to park their pickups because, quite simply, they're convenient. I've got two big uh, dogs that I take out into the wilderness and I I enjoy having them in the the space and the versatility of, of the truck. And with sales on the rise, there will only be more on the road in the coming years, whether for hauling hay bales or parking at the mall. Tom Vernon, Global News. So, Greg, (laughs) I don't know why, A, people get so worked up about the words of someone else expressing, A, an opinion, and he had a ton of data that backed up the fact that most pickup trucks, a vast majority of them, never haul anything, never pull anything. And that's who I think the article was directed at. If you use it for work, if you use it for play, then the article does not apply to you. So yeah. why do you have to get so worked up about it? I'm a truck guy. I've had four different trucks in my life. I love having a truck. I miss having a truck because I don't have one now. We're in line. Our vehicle 
cycle at home is at a point where the next vehicle might be a truck. We're about a year and a half away from our next vehicle. But with the price of gas and the amount that I actually use the truck as a truck, yes, I need one from time to time. Do I always need one? Definitely not. So we're having that debate in my house right now, that whole idea. Well, maybe do we have, we have a smaller SUV, a Ford Edge. It's not a giant SUV. Serves our purposes almost always. But I like to do renovations, as you know. And so I've borrowed trucks. I've borrowed people's trucks and trailers. I've rented them when I've needed to. And one of the things we're debating right now is do we just get a, a you know, a utility trailer? That we can pull with the with the edge to you know when we go to Home Depot and get bigger items. So uh, I just I don't understand why people get so offended when somebody else lays out some facts. And if they don't apply to you, they don't apply to you. Move on. Yeah, the the whole pickup truck thing. I've always wondered if you don't need it, why would you want one? But at the same time, who am I to question what kind of vehicle? You want to drive if you're more comfortable driving a truck. That's great. I know a lot of people just don't like how low cars are, particularly in the winter time, and that can it can be a serious problem in the winter if you're in a smaller car when the windrows get piled up. So I could see a truck being great there, and obviously a truck would also be awesome to have in the winter. I will say this, and and I acknowledge that in every segment of the the automobile demographic, regardless of what you're driving. There are annoying drivers in all shapes and sizes or vehicles of all shapes and sizes, but the, the pickup truck on your tail in the winter might be the most obnoxious driver on the road. Like, I get it. You got a pickup truck. You're dominating the road. I'm in my little compact sedan. I'm driving to the conditions. So if just because you're driving a tank... Doesn't mean you got to be on my tail. Yeah, and uh, Brett, I don't know if you've noticed, but probably for every sedan or smaller vehicle you see in the ditch on a day like you were describing, you'll see a pickup truck as well. Yeah. Does not prevent you. You are not immune from road conditions in your 4x4. Doesn't help you stop faster. Might get you through the snow and started and going quicker and more efficiently, but it certainly doesn't help you stop more quickly. Yeah, you know, I, I like I said, I'm a big fan of pickup trucks, but let's be honest, a lot of people who drive them don't need them. And another thing too, it, when when you get a truck, you're just opening yourself up to all kinds of... <laughs> Favors. I knew where you were going. <laughs> everyone knows someone with a truck, and everyone knows that person is always getting harassed. Hey, uh, you want to help me move? Or hey, can you help me with this? Or can you do that? Like on on our trip to the, the to Nepo and Minidosa over the weekend, one of the guys was planning to drive. He's got a minivan, but we were thinking about it and wondered, are we going to be able to pile all of our stuff in the in the van? And guess who ended up driving? The guy with the truck. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, by the way, Mike. We appreciate that. 6.43, you can read more on this at uh, globalnews.ca. We've also linked that story to our 680CJOB Instagram story if you want to see the report. We want to talk about video rentals because at 7.05, we're going to talk to the authors, the Winnipeg authors of a book called The Good Old Days of Video Rentals. So let's have a chat about video rentals 
Did you have a favorite place? Did you have a favorite movie you like to rent or maybe a favorite video game? I rented a ton of video games. I used to rent Blades of Steel on Nintendo all the time. Uh, I don't know why I didn't just buy it. I think the the number of times I rented that game, I should have just bought it. But anyway, let's go around the horn here. Mackling, why don't we start with you? Oh, I'm trying to remember the name, and I don't think I'll be able to. The, the first place we rented videos, it was in the basement of what was, I think, a spice store at the corner of Greenwood Place and Portage Avenue in the West End. And this was way back in the early 1980s. And on a Saturday, it was jam-packed with people because there were no chains at that point. It was all corner store sort of setups, independent operations. And we had one of the first VCRs in my group of friends. And so the very first movie we ever rented was An American Werewolf in London. And it was such a great movie. Enjoyed it so much. Watched it, I think, Saturday night, Sunday night, and got up again at about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning before school on Monday to watch it a third time before we had to return it. Wow. Because I think it was probably seven bucks to rent it. You know, you got you to gotta wring every penny out of that <laughs> rental. And I think a lot of us did that, watch oh, yeah. the, the movies more than once back in the day. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and when I rented games, I would just play them nonstop for the 24 or 48 hours or whatever it was that I had them. What about you, Mr. Poitras? Well, you know, in terms of video games, that would be the way that I would test to see which ones I wanted to buy. And so I'd go to the video store, I'd rent it, I'd play it for a little while, and of course I would have to share it with, with, my, two, with my two brothers and we'd have to take turns, which always sucked, of course. They always <laughs> wanted to just own the, uh, the entire console and you squeeze every second out of it. But it's totally true. Like, you would play that game or you'd watch that movie constantly up until that point. And now it's like a new movie comes on Netflix and you, you watch it once while you're on your phone and then you, you move on to the next thing. It's, it's just, it's like a different, it's like a different, a totally different experience. That's a great point, yeah, yeah. because uh, you, you can just watch it anytime uh, w- with the way things are now. But when you actually had it, for that limited time, you made sure to enjoy it. Jeff Braun, what yeah, about... Yeah, you tell friends to come over to watch it, too. Like, oh, I rented this one. Come over and watch it. Even though you already watched it, you'd watch it again. That's right. It would be an event. Yes. Braun? My friend Derek and I would rent the video game Contra for the original NES. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a great one. All the time. Whenever it was... It was in Altona, right? And there's one copy of it, so, and the thing was constantly gone. But if you could get your hands on it for a couple of days, that's all you did. I remember one time we literally stayed up all night playing it like in the morning his dad got up to go to work and we were still playing video games and he was like what is wrong with you boys go to bed oh my god <laughs> I, I, he was so mad at us but uh, we we eventually finished the game so it was worth it up up down down left right left right baba start <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> my word <laughs> it's amazing what you remember eh? that stuff like that yeah. just sticks with you that's and apparently that code worked on other games from konami i didn't know that i thought it was only a contra thing so that kind of made me mad that i didn't try it on other games uh mr forte what about you I spent so much time in uh, movie stores, especially uh, Roger's Video, which used to be on McLeod, right by Gateway. And uh, it was such a big store that they actually had a play structure inside of it. So I would spend Ooh. time in that play structure. The only problem was that you would always you get... You were 20? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
You saw me? You saw me? <laughs> Sir, we've asked you before. It's for the children. Please leave. <laughs> leave me alone! <laughs> no, but it would shock you. You'd get that static electricity going. It would shock you. But, uh, you know, parents would be like, hey, it's time to go. It's like, five more minutes! <laughs> leave me alone! <laughs> <laughs> That's cool that they had a play structure in there. Yeah, the the video rental places were just so magical. And I remember a place called, uh, with the, the clever name, Home Movie Video Rentals. Oh, wow. Yes. What did a- they do there exactly? <laughs> <laughs> it was on uh, Regent Avenue. Uh, tucked behind where the Smitty's is now. And uh, I went in there with my dad, and I remember the first time being in there, and I saw He-Man, Masters of the Universe cartoons, and we couldn't get them because they were on VHS, and we had a beta VCR. Oh. We had the superior technology, but mm. they, the selection for beta versus VHS was so small. It was always so sad to go into the video stores when we had the beta. When we did get the VHS... Oh, boy, that opened up so much possibility. It's sort of like having a Tesla without the charging station. <laughs> Didn't you do, do you any good yeah. at all? It was tough to find the Betamax uh, movies as, as much better the tech was, for sure. Oh, by the way, there is a new Masters of the Universe cartoon on Netflix. I watched it. It's cool. We'll review it on the couch, Potatoes. Oh, but, uh, Poitras, did you ever, you talked about how you would rent the games to see if you wanted to buy them. Yeah. Were you like me, where you would just rent them and rent them and rent them and rent them and yes. never buy them? Oh, of course. I mean, I remember, like, um, uh, the Ninja Turtles game on the Super Nintendo Played, got that one like crazy. Uh, the Simpsons game, which was sort of similar to it, uh, but it was like a game I could play with like my brothers, so we could all just kind of play at the exact same time. Uh, yeah, you just keep you just keep renting it, and then you'd have those three days or whatever. Maybe you even you would you you would even get a week. Oh my goodness gracious, you had a week with it, and so then you just went absolutely crazy on that game, and then uh, you you'd put it back on the shelf. And I think video games were about the same price as they are now to, now still. Like they were like sixty seventy bucks, and this was like in the nineties. So they were pretty expensive. So um, you went out and you, you just kept, yeah, they, they, they always found their way back. Or you're, you're, And also your buddy would say, oh, yeah, I, I got this at the video rental store. I got this video game. Come over and, and play. And it would just be like, Braun, you'd, you'd play that game until the, the wee hours of the morning. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win that $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. Share a memory about a video store for your chance to win. We want to continue the conversation on video rentals and make sure you text us at 204-780-6868, a video rental memory for your chance to win that $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. And we're having that conversation because of the one, Greg, we're about to have now. Yeah, all this prompted by the release of a book called The Good Old Days of Video Rental. According to our guests, the book includes history, a little video store clerking 101, and stories from customers who frequented video stores, clerks who worked at them, and owners and managers who operated them. We say good morning to the authors of this walk down memory lane. Hello, Bill Horenchuk. Good morning. And we also say good morning to Kevin Doherty. And good morning back to you guys. So you guys are former video store clerks. Kevin, where did you guys work? Uh, Bill and I actually met at Bill's Video. I don't know if you recall the franchise here in town. There's about four locations. We worked at the Henderson Highway location for about, uh, well, I worked there for about five years, and I can't remember how long Bill worked there for. He was an assistant manager at that location. 
Bill, how long did you work there? Well, you know, I, I worked at uh, two locations. Uh, I started out at the uh, St. Patel location and then uh, headed over to uh, Henderson later on. Uh, in total, at, at Bill's video for about three years and another seven years at uh, Video Stop. They were a great place uh, to visit, such a big part of the culture, Bill. And Bill's video was my go-to when I lived in St. James in the old uh, Safeway store at the corner of, I guess it's uh, Ferry Road and Portage Avenue. And uh, just a great place to go, almost a superstore. So what was it about that industry that drew you to it in the first place? Was it just a job at first? Kevin, do you want this one? (laughs) It was... uh... At the time when I was uh, a teenager, it was my dream job to work at a video store just to have access to any movie that I wanted. Um, when I uh, found out that there was a Star Time photo video opening on Laja Moutier, I thought, this is my opportunity. I'm going to, I wrote this two-page suck-up letter to the, to the hiring manager, and she actually called me that day and said, how can I not hire somebody with this much fire and passion and ambition for movies? And when I got hired, I was... I was in heaven. It was one of those kind of jobs where you just kind of thought, this is this is what I want to do with my life. I want to work surrounded by movies and film, which I was just so passionate and I had such a love for. And when I got hired there uh, part-time, it, at the time, it was like a dream come true. I had no other further ambitions except, well, I wanted to get into filmmaking a little bit. But this was kind of like being uh, in film school in a way. And Kevin, just looking at the write-up here, the first video store in Canada was opened in Winnipeg? Yeah, and that's an interesting um, story and quite a coincidence. We were on Hal Anderson's show about three years ago when we were starting the book, and the the guy who opened the very first store in Canada caught the show that day and reached out to us and said, have I got some stories for you? And he told us that Video Concepts, his name is Gilles Verrier, um, he opened the, the very first video store. We, we cover um, a lot of the history of the video store in Winnipeg, especially, but also uh, Gilles' startup is covered in the first chapter, and he has some interesting stories on how he got started. Yeah, some of the movie Village is the one that uh, also jumps out for me as a place in Osborne Village where you could get hard to hard to get films, and, and there were just certain places, uh, Kevin, maybe, you, uh, you know, that catered to a certain crowd from from time to time you had the you had the bigger places where you could hopefully get all the new releases but you had your secret haunts as well where you could go and get i know where i can get this unusual title yeah movie village wasn't much of a secret every cinephile in winnipeg knew about movie village they carried titles you couldn't get anywhere else um you know the big stores like star time and 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 rogers and and Blockbuster, and even Bill's video carried all the mainstream and, and really heavily relied on new releases because that's how they made their money, uh, renting new releases. But Movie Village specialized in all those underground films. And, and yeah, it was a very, very popular place. It was a popular place, place with myself, too. And we tried to get a hold of Dave Ringer, who uh, owned Movie Village. He's moved out to B.C., I believe. And right before the pandemic hit, we were going to meet and uh, have, a, have an interview, and then I kind of lost contact with him. And we unfortunately didn't get him to chime in on anything, but I'm sure he had some pretty good stories too. Now, Bill, uh, there are still a couple of places in Winnipeg where you can rent videos. Do you know how many there are left? You know, I think there's only a couple, and um, they're fairly small uh, in comparison to what they used to be. And, and, and in the book, we talk about it's that experience that, that 
massive rush on the weekend to get those movies. Like the the era has kind of gone by. I know you guys talked about uh, one of the stores uh, still still left in the city, um, but it's that it's that rush that we talk about uh, in our book that. Uh, Really, when we started talking about the book to other people, it would be that experience that people were missing, uh, which prompted us to do this book. Bill, were you secretly judging me for my choices all those years? <laughs> you know, I, I probably was. <laughs> I, I think that's uh, one of the things about working at the video store is, uh, you know, you really get to know what that customer wants. And you've been there long enough. You interact with people long enough. They, they walk in. They know what you like. Uh, you know what they like. And uh, the the camaraderie between the person behind the counter and the customer was a huge part of that job. And, Kevin, before we let you go, the, the it's become so convenient now to be able to watch almost anything you want right from your fingertips. But do you think that actually takes away from perhaps some of the enjoyment or appreciation for what it is that you're watching because there was no work that went into getting your hands on it? Absolutely. A part of finding that obscure title and and just coming across a movie on the shelf of a video store that you never heard of before and you took it home and you discovered it was a diamond in the rough. And you never would have discovered it hadn't you just stumbled upon it on a shelf at a video store, and now with streaming services, you're, it kind of caters to your wants, and there's the algorithm thing, and you don't stumble across those rare titles that you otherwise would just kind of scanning the shelves for an hour at a video store. So I think that's lost, and I think you enjoy the movie that much more because it was an accomplishment, and work went into getting the, to getting to the store and, and renting it and getting it home, and there was that kind of whole the work that was involved, you know, kind of, I think, emphasized the experience. But, yeah, um, I mean, it's certainly more convenient today, and it's probably more efficient, and it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. But um, it's an experience a lot of people won't have a chance to, to experience, and that's why we thought we should record this and, uh, and, and write a book about it so that people can kind of get a, get a taste of what it used to be like. The journey versus the destination. Kevin Doherty, thanks for this. Bill Horenchuk, how do we get our hands on this book? Um, Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, and uh, we're, we're going to have some copies of the Coles books in Cologne Place in a couple of weeks, and we're going to try and hit up all the other bookstores in town too, so keep an eye open for them. We plan on getting them on everyone's shelves. All right, Kevin Doherty and Bill Horenchuk, the authors of The Good Old Days, of video rental. And if you go to the 680 CJOB Instagram story, we've linked the trailer. They put together a movie trailer for this book. So we've linked that to our story. Uh, I got to get my hands on this book because they're right. The, antis- the anticipation, the work that goes into it is was a huge part of the fun of doing that. It's like, it's like Christmas morning. It's the anticipation leading up to the morning. Then you tear all the presents open and you're like, oh, it's over. And when it was your pick... If you were with somebody else, yeah. you were intent on liking that film. There was no way you were <laughs> going to say you didn't. Like, oh, come on, that was great. <laughs> Mackling and McGarry McNabb is on vacation. We're going to share some more of your stories about video rental memories. We're getting some killer stories, and we thank you for that at 204-780-6868. But first, we're hearing Pink. Right now, one of the most successful solo artists in popular music 
She's offered to pay fines issued to the Norwegian beach handball team because their shorts weren't short enough. She's very proud of the women of the Norwegian handball team for wearing shorts like the men do at the European Beach Handball Championships in Bulgaria last week. The team was fined about $1,700 for violating the rules on clothing. The European Handball Federation says it will donate the fine paid by the Norwegian Handball Federation to a women's sports foundation. Meanwhile, the International Olympic Committee has issued new guidelines to broadcasters for the games in Tokyo, urging them to focus less on looks, body parts, and wardrobe slips, and more on athletics. Athletics. I'm Margie Zaroleta. Yeah, Pink tweeted that she is very proud of the team for protesting the very sexist rules about their uniform. She also called for the EHF to be fined for sexism. Good on you, ladies, she wrote. I'll be happy to pay your fines for you. Keep it up. The European Handball Federation had specifically rejected the Norwegians' plans to wear shorts for the tournament, citing the uniform policy that mandates bikini bottoms for all female athletes. Mm -hmm. The women wore black bikini bottoms for their initial games, but they switched into tight-fitting blue athletic shorts for their bronze medal match against Spain. Uh, Coincidentally, the uh, exact same shorts that the men wear, uh, sparking cheers from the crowd when they hit the sand. So after 9 o'clock, we're going to visit with Andrea Cates. She's an advocate for women and girls in sport, founder of Fit Communications, Fit Women and Girls. So we're going to find out if it's time to revamp entirely dress codes for women athletes. So we're looking forward to that conversation because, uh, you know, we could have a conversation about it, Greg, but a couple of guys talking about what women should should or shouldn't be wearing in sports, I feel like just walk into a brick wall on that one. Yeah, I think maybe it's best to bring on Andrea and get her <laughs> point of view on this one. Enough said. That's coming up at 9.05. In the meantime, your video rental memories, because at 7.07, we talked to Kevin Doherty and Bill Horenchuk, the Winnipeg authors of a book called The Good Old Days of Video Rentals. So Will Gordon texting us saying, while at Blockbuster on a busy Friday night, I had my three-year-old son on my shoulders while waiting in line to rent the movies. My buddy said I should buy some candy for my son, but I said no. So my buddy calls me frugal. Well, my son heard that, and at the top of his lungs, he said, my father's frugal. (laughs) Well, I couldn't reach his little mouth to keep him quiet, and the whole store looked at this and laughed. I still bug my now 21-year-old son about what he did. Mm, I wonder if Will has a nickname in certain circles. Um, One of our listeners says, 30 years ago, there was an independent video store on Meadowood in St. Vitale. Every time we went to rent movies, my five-year-old daughter would rent the Barbie movie. (laughs) After about 10, 12 rentals, the woman uh, and the owner said she could just keep it, not to return it. It certainly was a great act of kindness that we remember to this day. We were sad when it was driven out of business by the big chains. Again, listen to this one. I'm the early, in the early 80s, there were few locations to rent videos, and one of them was in the basement or main floor of the Richardson building at Portage in Maine. Okay. Imagine having to drive downtown to rent a video, says this listener. I remember walking through that store, but there was one aisle 
I had to have my brother hold my hand and guide me because I had to close my eyes. I was so scared of the horror movie box covers, but I got over it. Did you know about this store, though? I did not, and it's sort of an ingenious, in my opinion, location because I'm going to give a shout-out to my dad who had a similar location called The Real Thing. I don't know if you ever saw it at the University of Manitoba, Brett. It was probably before your day, and I worked there only for a handful of months, and uh, you know, the the thinking was there are were at the time about 10,000 people who work on campus and, of course, about 25,000, 30,000 students that at some point make their way to campus. And it was just in the union, in the union, student union building. And it was just a perfect opportunity to people come and, and, and cut out one stop on their commute on the way home. But it just uh, might have just been uh, an idea ahead of its time, perhaps. Keep those texts coming for your chance to win the Santa Lucia Pizza $20 gift card. We're going to give that away just after 9.15. One of the most recognizable athletes on the planet is in the international spotlight. American gymnast uh, Simone Biles has withdrawn from the all-around competition. Brett, we've been hearing that in news and sports, I think. Two days following pulling herself from a team gymnastics competition at the Olympics. Biles is being hailed as a hero by many for standing up for herself and taking care of her own mental wellness. But she's also being labeled a quitter by some. Adrian Leslie Tugood is a Winnipeg sports psychologist with a gray cup ring, we should mention. Good morning and congratulations to you, Adrian. Hi there. It's great to talk to you this morning. So Simone Biles, she is considered the greatest gymnast of all time. How is it, and I'm trying to suppress my anger as I ask you this, Adrian, how is it that some are questioning her fortitude as she cites her mental wellness for her decisions? Yeah, I think it's challenging. It's an area that I think um, as a larger society we're wrestling with, with this whole mental health thing. Um, And I think maybe the global pandemic has made it such that people can't kind of hide behind it anymore. Um, So I think it's a bigger conversation. And I think it's certainly in high performance environments where you're riding the line. And for me, I take a very different approach. I think that in order to be great, you really have to push your limits. And so there's times where you push your physical limits and you become injured. There's times when you push your emotional limits and you become injured. Unfortunately, in a lot of high-performance cultures, there's a lack of openness to, to noticing mental well-being. And at the end of the day, we are all human beings. That's why we love watching sport and the Olympics is because it's human beings doing it and we know how hard it is. And there's basic concepts that we can't escape from. You know, there's one area in the literature, it's called alexithymia, and it's really a lack of emotional awareness of being aware of what you're feeling and being unable to express it. And now when they're doing the research, they're finding that it's underlying a lot of mental health issues, people with addictions, people who have major depressive disorder. Um, It's just what's happening if we're not emotionally aware. And then if we think of some of these cultures that people grow up in where they're in these high-performance environments from very young ages now where we have the professionalization of youth sport, and they're very much discouraged to express emotion. Um, you know, Chantelle Van Landigan's an Olympic medalist, and we were on a, a call with uh, her old swim club a few weeks back, and the um, coach in introducing her, who had worked with her from the time she was a youth, 
said that one of the things they loved about Chantel was that she always had a smile on her face and she never looked upset. And Chantel, because now she's doing her PhD in clinical psychology and her research is on alexithymia, she did a great job of saying that, you know, I know I looked like that back then, but I wasn't always feeling that way underneath, you know, and so it's really, it's mystifying for a lot of people and maybe we can see the positive in that and at least everyone's chiming in and thinking about it for the first time. But, um, you know, it's not that she's weak. It's not that she's whatever. It's probably that she was too strong and she held it in too long. You know, the last thing I'll say is I work with a lot of performance cultures. You know, I'll work with, um, you know, firefighters or things, you know, professions where people have PTSD. And what I say to the organization that doesn't quite understand sometimes is that the guys are too strong. They're not admitting they're broken earlier. So they keep on going. And then we've got a real problem. You know, it's kind of if we think about it from a physical standpoint, if you've got a tweak in your shoulder, or your ankle, and you don't pay attention to it, and you keep on pounding on it. What happens? Then you've got a bigger issue. And so we're starting to learn that we can't ignore that. We have to take care of it. And it's the same with mental health and well-being, but we can't see it. It's confusing and um, it's controversial, and so everyone's talking about it. But at the end of the day, she's, you know, and that's just general people, let alone someone who's Simone Biles, who, you know, we forget she was part of the Larry Nasser scandal, so she's been um, sexually abused by a coach. She's the only remaining gymnast, and she's been carrying the flag of that, and she talks openly about that being the reason why she's still competing. But she's carrying the weight of that. We have a global pandemic. There is just... If you talk to anyone, there's just it's been very stressful for athletes to get there. Yeah, it's been different. Um, and then you layer that on with all the, you know, the Black Lives Matter stuff. She's a black female athlete, you know, and so there's just a lot of other stuff. And she's the greatest of all time. I don't know. I've never been the greatest. I don't know the pressure associated with that, but I do know that a lot of people, whether whatever profession you look at, if you look at Vincent Van Gogh as a great artist, if you look at, you know, a lot of people who are the greatest, it's really hard to carry the weight of that. Um, so just general mental health stuff, but then also the fact that she's the best and when the best don't show up, everyone notices when the mediocre don't show up, no one talks about it and no one cares. And that's just the reality of the the life that she has. And imagine if we changed it and we said, wow, she's special. She's great. What can we do to create conditions where she can thrive? Because it's such a gift to watch her do her thing, you know? Um, that would be a very different world and a very different environment. So goodness gracious, that was a long answer, but uh, <laughs> I had a lot to say about that. I don't know. It was a tremendous answer. Uh, we do only have about 90 seconds left, but I just wanted to mention this, that Canadian Ellie Black has also also withdrawn from that gymnastics all-around final with an ankle injury, and I imagine no one's going to bat an eye at that. So do we? should we be thinking of Simone's issue as in that same vein as an injury? Yeah, absolutely. I love, I use tons of physical metaphor for it. And I do talk a lot about emotional injuries. And when we have a physical injury, we were super intentional about making sure it gets better. Emotional injuries, you ignore and keep going. Um, and, you know, and as well, we all, we all different, respond differently, you know, to different situations. And we need to learn to be non-judgmental and honest with ourselves um, about that um, so that we can be the best versions of ourselves. And how many of us are held back from living our best life because we're concerned about what people think or we want to look good or whatever, you know, imagine if we all broke through that and we were more honest with ourselves so that we could be well and we could be, you know, the best versions of us regardless of what we do. You're a treasure. Thank you, Adrian. We appreciate you very much. 
Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Adrian Leslie Toogood, Winnipeg sports psychologist, joining us live on 680 CJOB. And you can read more on that at globalnews.ca. We've linked that story on Simone Biles withdrawing to our Instagram story at 680 CJOB. Good morning. Hello. Hi, M&M. Hi. Happy Hamburger Day. It's Hamburger Day today. Oh, is it? Yes. Yes. We may have to talk hamburgers on my uh, show this afternoon, and I may have to go get... Well, after we talk food on my show, usually, that means I hop in the truck and go and get it, whatever we happen to be talking about. But yes, it's Hamburger Day. And it's also interesting you guys are talking about video games. I was just reading yesterday an article, and I pulled it out. Can I read a paragraph of this article about playing video games with your kids? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it uh, talks about a bunch of experts here, and here's a, here's a paragraph from one of the experts on playing games, uh, video games with your kids. Um, can't get your kids to spend time with you? Play video games with your kids. Teachers are complaining that your kids are paying more attention to Minecraft than their homework. Play video games with your kids. Your kids have no other interest. Play games, video games with your kids. Concerned that your kids are being exposed to inappropriate content? Play video games with your kids. Worried about your kids' decisions? Play video games with your kids. It's a way to spend quality time with them and while you're playing you're having conversations you're making decisions in the game was that a good you know what i mean so anyhow that sort of fits with what you guys are talking about today that's that's interesting go ahead greg no i was just gonna say in any successful relationship it's critical you sort of meet the other person where they live Right. If you're going to connect with them, and so, I mean, my kids uh, love all the sports video games in particular, so I venture downstairs once in a while, but typically it's just to get made fun of for my lack of <laughs> yeah, ability. You know, right. I think I've mentioned it before, do you want to play on 1994 mode, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> and they can but, do it! But and you're <laughs> interacting with your kids, right? That's, that's the right. whole point. C- yeah. Correct, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think it's tremendous advice, uh, some that I should heed maybe a little more often, so Thanks for that, Hal. I never thought I'd be getting parental advice and parenting advice from you, but here we are. Well, right. Yes, exactly, because I've got a house full of kids. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Um, Oh, speaking of kids, if you want your kid to become a genius, we now know what you should call your kid. Um, They have analyzed why they would do this, but it is sort of interesting. They analyzed over 900 names of people who are extremely intelligent, including Nobel Prize winners, notable scientists, and they have come up with the top 20 baby names most likely to be associated with a genius. Now, I'll give you the top three male names, and I'll give you the top three female names. Uh, From number three to number one, Ellen at number three for the girls, Elizabeth at number two, and Marie is the number one name if you want to... Uh, try and have a better chance of having a genius kid, I guess, a genius daughter, uh, Marie. And on the boys' side, it's uh, William at number three, Robert at number two, and John, the number one male name uh, if you're sort of hoping to uh, have a genius son. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Engineer John, he's a genius. There you go. I'm, yeah. ju- I'm just thinking those are just the most common names, period. Well, you might, <laughs> there you go. And, but it's also, they're very traditional names, right? 
you know, so, but I guess maybe, you know, you've got to be around for a while to become a genius. Anyhow, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, there are two meteor showers. I love stuff that goes on in the sky. There are two meteor showers right now, and the peak is tonight, Wednesday night into Thursday morning. And they're saying that there could be 15 to 20 meteors per hour, which is, you know, pretty significant. The problem is the moon is at about 75% right now, so the moonlight could wash out uh, some of the dimmer meteors. But if you like uh, looking up at the sky at night, tonight might be a good night to do that. And then, of course, we're in the midst of the Perseid meteor shower as well. That doesn't peak until uh, August 11th. Uh, but when it peaks, there will be up to 50 shooting stars an hour and they will be super bright as well so i just wanted to mention that today uh could see some meteors in the sky overnight tonight are you guys into uh that kind of stuff or not really yeah a little bit we were sitting outside i think it was saturday night and one of our friends said hey what's that light moving across the sky is that an airplane like no it's moving too quickly to be an uh, an airplane anyway i have the uh, international a space station spotter app on my phone. Don't ask me why. I pulled it out, and sure enough, it was right over Winnipeg at that time. So that's what it was. It's only the second time I've ever seen it. But uh, if you want to track it, ISS Spotter is a free app, and you can uh, that way you can plan your your looks cool. up to the sky according mm. to the tracker. Excellent. And uh, one final story here for you guys. Um, taking part, adults who take part in regular team sports are happy, uh, happier, healthier, and luckier in love. They have more friends, better work-life balance, more physically fit. They attend more parties compared to those who don't play on a team. Uh, team members, uh, team players are more sociable, and they spend an hour and 23 minutes per week exercising compared to others who and only exercise about 58 minutes per week. So there you go. Um, I need to uh, I need to play video games with my non-existent children. <laughs> I need to uh, become a member of a team. And uh, what else? Oh, I need to get a hamburger today. Yes. That's what, <laughs> that's what else I need to do today. <laughs> Guys, have a great Wednesday. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is on vacation. We want to tie two stories together here through your text messages because we've been talking a lot this morning about international athletes. In the last hour, we talked about how U.S. Olympian Simone Biles has withdrawn from the all-around competition to take care of her mental wellness. So we had that conversation with sports psychologist Adrian Leslie Tugood at 8.05. And Greg, you flagged a text message uh, from somebody who wanted to weigh in on that. Yeah, and I'll keep this listener's name out of it because I'm getting the uh, sense that this person still works where this took place. I was getting stressed at work about four years ago. Took a mental health day. I got called in by management and lectured at work here. Uh, We work here. Sorry, there's a typo there. We work here unless you're throwing up or have a broken limb. You are expected to come to work. I have not phoned in ill for the past four years. Never called in for this again. I'll never forget this. And my devotion to my company is very limited. Okay, so thank you very much for that feedback. And then this text message ties in with what we're about to discuss. That's right. I used to work in a high-profile Winnipeg department store in the late 1980s that mandated skirts or dresses, nylons and heels for their 
female staff, one of the less easily intimidated younger staff, I like the way that was put, sought a legal opinion. A government representative informed the store they could not enforce such an oppressive and sexist dress code unless they extended it to the male staff as well. At last, we ladies could wear pants without fear of dismissal, except the store countered by mandating they had to be made of wool, silk, or linen, no synthetic fibers. Get this, Brett. One clerk found herself having to partially disrobe to show a supervisor the label in order to prove her trousers were made of linen. Kat says, ludicrous. We agree. Yeah, we do agree. And this has to do with... What we're about to discuss here is Canadian women display their prowess on behalf of our country in Tokyo. Athletes from other countries are the source of controversy around what they can and cannot wear. Yeah, as we mentioned days before the official start of the two-week-long sporting spectacle on July 23rd, British Paralympic athlete Olivia Breen said she was told by a female official at the English Championships that her sprint briefs were, quote, too short and inappropriate, leaving her speechless. Meanwhile, a swimming cap designed by UK brand Soul Cap specifically for thick, curly, and voluminous hair that was set to be worn by Alice Deering, Britain's first black swimmer at the Olympics, has been banned by the International Water Sports Federation FINA for not following the natural form of the head. And Brett... Probably most notably Norway's women's beach hand uh, beach handball team, which is not competing at the Olympics, was fined for wearing athletic shorts instead of bikini bottoms in a bronze medal match against Spain in the beach handball Euro 2021 tournament after officials deemed the shorts to be, quote, improper clothing. Andrea Cates of Fit Communications is our guest. Andrea is also an advocate for women and girls in sport. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, we love your uh, your opinion and your views on things like these. These stories we cited are only recent examples of women being told what to or what not to wear in sport. This isn't new, however. It's definitely not. I mean, women have been seeing this for a long time. Um, it, you know, it's been in gymnastics where the, the girls are now sort of taking a stand for themselves and they're wearing um, a comp- competitive um uniform that is allowed but it's instead of it just being the you know bathing suit sort of functionality it's a full one piece so from you know from their hands down to their toes so that is something that they have taken on themselves but we've seen that in tennis as well I mean um, tennis has always been they they need to wear a certain uniform and and it's been challenged and um, the the best example I can think of is when Serena Williams wore a cat suit and that was purely for functionality. Um, She had just given birth. She was worried about blood clots. That was going to allow her to play. So when she was postpartum and and she was fined because of it. And so these things have been coming up for girls and women in sport for a long time. And it's, it's about time they really stop and think about what's the functionality of what they're wearing versus how is it just based on what it looks like. Yeah, because the LPGA, for example, in recent years sort of dropped the hammer on the dress code because golfers like Michelle Wee were wearing really short and tight skirts and the LPGA deemed that inappropriate. But uh, the way I see it, if, if Michelle, somebody like Michelle Wee is comfortable wearing that and it allows her to perform to her ability, then what's the big deal? Well, exactly. What is the big deal? And, and why should anybody be told what to wear? I can see, again, I think it really should come down to functionality. You know, with the handball example, if you've ever watched that sport, it's intense. How they're doing that in a bikini bottom, I have no idea. 
I mean, I would just be worried about, you know, landing on the sand and, and hurting yourself or having an accidental, you know, flash moment is very possible in those little tiny shorts. And for them to wear, you know, a bicycle short, it's not like they were wearing a huge baggy sweatpants. Like they, they just changed it so that the pants, the shorts were a little bit longer. And it's, it really is a more functional um, dress code for them because they're, they're probably able to perform a little bit better and not be so worried about, you know, having a Janet Jackson moment. Sorry, guys. Obviously, a uniform is a uniform, and we know hockey players have to, you know, men and women have to wear uh, certain conforming things uh, to get on the ice, and and there are all sorts of rules on the football field, this, that, and the other thing. But those are typically from a safety and a continuity standpoint. I find, though, that the rules around what women wear is about uh, protecting them from either exposing too much or, in certain cases, not exposing enough. And and just uh, all around, uh, it, it comes down to uh, a sexualization of these athletes. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly what it comes down to. And, and as the, you know, example with gymnastics, I think it's the Russian team right now that is wearing the full body suits for the Olympics, um, for part of, of the Olympics, I should say. And, and they've decided sort of gymnasts as a whole, not just in Russia, but we've seen it in the U.S., um, some Canadian athletes as well. They're wearing these full pieces because they are tired of the sexualization of the gymnasts. And they've had such um, a huge blow up with issue um, with sexual assault and sexual abuse in that sport. And the, the athletes are now taking a stand. And it's, it's great that gymnastics has that ability to still allow them to wear that type of um, uniform during a competition. But I think we need to see that in more sports. Um, and, and there's also a cultural aspect of it, too. I, I know John Blancher from Volleyball Manitoba gave some really good examples to me of um, women that are allowed to wear in volleyball and beach volleyball around the world that are wearing burkas. Well, what are they supposed to do in those short little shorts? So that has been adjusted so that it is more accessible to more women. So I think volleyball is a really great example of, of what they are doing right to make it more accessible. And let's do that for more people because really, if, you know, we have to also think of the younger girls. So if it is a, is a you know, a, a tiny top and short shorts, some people might feel comfortable in that. And that's great and good for them. But unfortunately, not everybody does. And that's going to restrict certain people from joining or continuing to play in that sport. So it's not only for the Olympic level, but we also have to think about, you know, those 12, 13, 14-year-old girls who are looking to try a new sport. They might not be 100% confident in their body image and, and how they look in a tiny little outfit. So is it going to stop them from participating in that sport? Probably. And that's not what we want to see. We want to see more girls participating in sport and more girls staying in sport um, so that we can have a successful national team in every sport across Canada. Andrea Cates, Fit Communications, Fit Women and Girls, joining us live on The Start. Andrea, a pleasure and privilege as always. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Have a great day, guys. And if you want to read more on the pink and Norway situation, we've linked that story from ET Canada to our 680 CJOB Instagram story. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb on vacation. We got to pick a winner for our $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza based on your text messages on video rental memories. And 
Lots of great stories, as always, and we thank you for that. And Grant sharing a story I'm sure many can relate to. Grant says, my first experience with video rentals was Addie's Video, a tuxedo park shopping center. We would do the weekend specials that included the VCR and a couple of movies. The first few times the VCR remote even had a cord to plug into the VCR. And the VCR would come in a big black case. It felt Uh very James Bond. The kicker back then, though, was that you actually had to pay for the privilege of a video store membership. Mm -hmm. I remember paying 120 bucks for an annual membership, but it came with some coupons. Good times, LOL. Very good. That's Grant. Yeah, one of our other listeners saying that that's why they got a credit card back in the day because you needed to leave a $300 deposit for the machine. And, (laughs) you know, that was really the only reason why they uh, applied and got a credit card. Gary says this, my funniest video rental was when my 16-year-old daughter asked me to rent Bad Santa. She told me it was a Christmas comedy. Correct. (laughs) Of course, dad wanted to do things with his daughter and spend an evening watching a movie. So I rented it and watched this comedy with my kid. 10 minutes or less into the movie. I was surprised my daughter knew about this movie and her hockey dad knew nothing of it. I'm not sure who laughed more watching it, but after that I made sure I bought a copy to keep up the Christmas tradition. Sure miss those days of renting at Blockbuster. Thanks, Gary. I think we got time to read. So I'll read the runner-up text message, which came from Kevin the Garbage Man. We read this earlier this morning. Kevin says, my movie village story, Motel Hell was on my must-watch list since I was in school. I was so pumped up about this movie, and I pumped it up in my head for years. I read lots of reviews and horror magazines, told my wife about it, found it at Movie Village while browsing one night, happily brought it home to my wife. I was like that little dog running around, the big dog Spike. Well, I got home, waited till nighttime, popped in the movie, and it sucked! To this day, my wife brings up Motel Hell when I pick a dud of a movie. Kevin, that's a great story, and on most days that would win, but... Roma Greg has won the day. An accidental situation here. Video rental story. I picked up a video rated G rated. Uh, let me start again. Sorry, Brett. I picked up a family rated G Disney movie at Blockbusters many years ago. I put it in and started watching it with my boyfriend. I was puzzled. <laughs> what was I looking at? It quickly became apparent that the movie was homemade porn. <laughs> Featuring close-ups of lady parts and, oh, oh my, my boyfriend was thrilled. I took it out. I returned it to Blockbusters and they apologized and gave me a credit for 10 free movies. Great story, Roma. Congratulations, you're a winner. Mackling and McGarry, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Greg, Winnipeg Jets making some serious noise over the past few days as they work to improve their defensive core. No question about it, Brett. And as you likely know by now, if you're a fan of the team or have been paying attention this morning, the team added now former Washington Capitals D-man Brendan Dillon on Monday evening. And then around supper time yesterday, word that the Jets had acquired defenseman Nate Schmidt who had to waive his limited no-movement clause to come to the Jets. Rumors also, Brett, that Schmidt had been asked to come to the Jets the day previous and had said no to the prospect of joining our NHL club. Well, Schmidt decided to change his mind and spent last season with the Canucks after several stellar seasons with Vegas Golden Knights and the Capitals before that. 
All this ahead of NHL free agency, which begins at 11 o'clock Central this morning. So joining us to discuss the Jets' moves, hopefully soon, sports director and host of Jets broadcasts here on CJOB, Mr. Kelly Moore. And we do have, because I can see him. Kelly's at home, but I can see Cam. <laughs> He's the host of Jets at Noom. Cameron Poitras, hello there, Cam. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. So, uh, Kelly, or Cam, rather, um, you're bumping Dr. Joss Reimer from her usual 1230 uh, Wednesday slot here on CJOB. Uh, that, that, that's a monumental effort on your part. You can catch that, by the way, live on CJOB.com. What do you think of the Jets' two new D-men? I, I think this is exactly what they needed. I, I actually, I did not anticipate Anticipate two uh, guys like this coming into the uh, coming on to the Winnipeg Jets blue line. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Brendan Dillon. I mean, everybody. That's all I've been hearing on the show on Jets at noon. Uh, whoa, we need a big D man. We need a big D man. And I'm like, yeah, well, of course, every team needs a big D man. Uh, but this Brendan Dillon, uh, you know, and for a, a pretty a pretty good. Like I think this was a pretty good. Uh, uh, trade for both the Washington Capitals and for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, a, a pair of second-round picks. I mean, this is the, the Jets' window that everyone keeps talking about. I think it's a little bit longer than three years because I think that keeping guys like like Shifley and uh, and and Hellebuck, it, it, you know, I don't think it should be a given, but I think it's maybe pretty likely seeing how things uh, play out here. So I think the Jets have a little bit of a longer window than maybe three years here. Um, uh, but, you know, those two second-round picks uh, for, for a guy with size and a cap hit of, of, of just under four million bucks too i mean that's that's going to be that's a high price commodity in this in this day and age so two second round picks i think that's good for for uh for the jets and for um and for the washington capitals and nate schmidt i mean he he kind of came onto the scene he became kind of a household hockey name when he had those years there with the with the vegas golden knights uh goes up with the canucks uh i don't know if we can even call it an off year but he but he kind of takes a a step back from i guess what people had anticipated they they saw in vegas of course much different circumstances uh weaker defense and a weaker team i think with the canucks for sure um and so yeah he's got he's got a fresh start here apparently and and, and i heard you talk about this before um uh, greg you were mentioning that uh, it may have been uh, paul stasny his former teammate in vegas that uh, gave him a phone call that that coaxed him over here to the winnipeg jets so uh thank you very much paul kelly moore is with us now and kelly have do the jets have any flexibility to make any more moves well, you never know what is up the sleeve of a general manager, but all I could tell you is what we do know. And if you fold in the uh, long-term injured reserve value for Brian Little, who uh, by all indications is not going to play again this year, uh, the Jets would have roughly $13 million in cap space to work with, and that would include RFA deals for Andrew Kopp and Neil Pionk. So I'm thinking that would mean about five of those, you know, close to minimum value type of contracts in order to even hope to be able to come up with the kind of money that I think Cop and Pionk are expecting. I know Murata Tesh uh, speculated or, or at least wondered out loud earlier this morning with you guys about, uh, you know, the possibility of one of those RFAs, uh, you know, being dealt. And, you know, the Jets have given up a lot of draft assets uh, to get these two defensemen and Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon. And so you have to wonder if, and uh, all of this is speculation, but if Andrew Kopp 
is maybe not on the same train as the Shifleys and the Hellebucks and the Ehlers and the Adam Lowry's, you know, with a team-friendly contract to keep the band together. And that's certainly his right. He's earned any kind of money that he's going to get. Uh, but if, you know, through the negotiations, there hasn't been uh, that kind of sense on the Jets' part, maybe they deal those RFA rights to recover some of the assets uh, that they've given up. But this is all wondering out loud. Logan Stanley, also a restricted free agent. And, uh, you know, he's going to be... Uh, yeah, but he's that... a qualifying offer, though, GMAC. That's kind of, like, whatever the Jets offer him, he's, he doesn't have a whole lot of wiggle room to, to negotiate that way. No, no, of course not. But he still needs to be signed. And I, yes. I only bring it up to to reiterate and sort of maybe overqualify your your take on Cop and Pionk here because they are really the only two players outside of that core that you listed off, the, the players players with long-term contracts, including now Schmidt and Dylan, like the core of this team is locked up for three years now outside those two players. And that, that's not an accident. Cam touched on this. No, it isn't. No, I, I'll disagree slightly with Cam a bit I, because Shifley and Hellebuck are so crucial to any success for the Winnipeg Jets. And I believe the window is three years. Uh, if they can enjoy the kind of success that would uh, perhaps motivate those players to continue to take team-friendly contracts beyond the ones they're on, then maybe, you know, that that's a possibility. But if, uh, you know, if the Jets don't proceed any further than they have, uh, then those guys are, are due for a huge hike in pay. And uh, I just don't know if the Jets would be able to continue on the course they're on right now if those guys take market value as opposed to, staying in Winnipeg value. Well, let's just hope that the flat cap is done by then, Kelly. Yeah, well, the, the cap will have to go up a big, big way. Because you're talking about two guys. Who knows by that time, three years from now, you know, we could be talking in the 11 and $12 million a year range. So, Cam, which NHL players should we see change teams today? Oh, I, it, is, it is a massive list of guys that we should see uh, uh, change teams. I mean, one of the, some of the biggest names here uh, are the Ryan Getzlaffs of the world. He might be on his way uh, out, out of out of Anaheim. Uh, that's that's a possibility. And, and there's a lot of like Dougie Hamilton. He, the talk right now is is uh, nine and a half for him. Uh, he's been linked to, to 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 a number of teams here. There's so much things still up in the air, and and there's also some trades on 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 on. On, on bar here as well. I mean, we could see a guy like Jack Eichel get moved. I mean, the huge haul that, that's kind of been linked to him, a, a, a number one prospect, a first-round pick, a, a roster player, and, and another player as well. I mean, there's just so much stuff that, that could potentially happen today. Um, and it, there's so many balls up in the air. It's, 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 it's Christmas. I mean, I think Greg said that, so we're going to have to wait and see how things kind of play out. Hey, Kelly, before we run here, I just wanted to acknowledge the bronze medal from the Canadian women in softball yes. at the Olympics. You spent so much time involved in elevating this sport in our province, and, and A, just uh, hats off to you. But what does this accomplishment mean to you personally, and what do you think it means to the, to the game uh, nationally? Oh, well, thanks for that, Greg. But, I mean, people like the Holenskys, uh, certainly like uh, Wayne Descour, uh, you know, uh, my, my good buddy uh, Bobby Turner uh, with the Winnipeg Lightning, bless his soul. These are the people uh, that, uh, that deserve uh, all of that credit. I was just happy to be along for the ride. But uh, it, with respect to that, GMAC, what an accomplishment uh, for Canadian softball. Uh, it, it, it comes at a bittersweet moment because the sport is being dropped off of the Olympic program for 2024 in Paris. Uh, 
it is completely frustrating to the softball community that they fought so hard to get it back on uh, and now it's off again but uh, uh, boy enjoy the moment for all that it is worth for everybody who's involved in the sport of softball whether it's provincially nationally or otherwise uh, at least uh, in this country there's there's something to celebrate before we go back to and, and I say that um because it's such a big deal to play in the Olympics, but uh, before we have to go back to uh, competing for world championships. Kelly Moore, thank you very much, sir. My pleasure. Sorry I was a little late, boys. I was on the phone. That's okay. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm on with GMAC. You threw me to the wolves, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you ta- trying to talk another uh, potential jet into waving his uh, no-movement clause? Uh, give us some insight there, Kelly. Uh, well, insiders you know, want to know. Outsiders need yeah, to know. You know we're, we're, we're investigating a number of things, and there's always <laughs> things happening in an evolving market. So, you know, we'll just try to do what we can to make this, this uh, uh, the best team that we can. <laughs> That's a good answer. And, Cam, real quick, uh, what have you got planned? 12 till 1, just uh, give us the elevator pitch, if you would. Well, we're still working on. We're going to have uh, Kelly Moore. He's going to be on the show. We're going to run some of the Nate Schmidt audio. He's going to be uh, speaking to everybody here at noon. So we'll introduce him to the, to the Winnipeg market john shannon's going to kick the show off jamie thomas uh, uh ken weeb and we'll be breaking down all the latest news all right cam pointers host of jets at noon special edition one hour today and Kelly Moore will be joining him as well. And as Greg mentioned, the Dr. Joss Reimer vaccination update at 12.30 will not be aired on CJOB as usual, but it will be live at CJOB.com, where you can also cast your vote on the question of the day for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. The Winnipeg Jets have made several additions to their roster in the past several days. How did they do? They're a contender now, or they need to do more. So at CJOB.com, we've got 36% who say they're a contender now, and 64% say they need to do more, whereas on Twitter, it's the reverse. 64% say they're a contender now, 36% say they need to do more. Fun with numbers. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I find that kind of stuff amusing, but I'm very easily amused, Greg. It's always fascinating to see the divergent takes of our voters on the website and our voters on Twitter. Uh, If I may place my vote, I think the folks on Twitter are closer than the folks at cjob.com. Oh, Greg's throwing down just like Kelly Moore was throwing down with Cam Point, just full on disagreeing. Maybe they're going to throw down during Jets at noon. It's a good thing Kelly's at home. They could have a fight. I'd like to hear that, quite frankly. I think uh, Cam could hold his own against uh, Mr. Moore. Probably shouldn't be instigating a fight between the two of them, but hey, that'd be fun. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.